back to the Pursuit of Truth podcast. My name is Will. I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're, you've joined me today. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to be alive, and I'm thankful that God sent his son. Um, you know, you folks really blow me away with all the downloads and listens that you guys have been giving me. So I'm honored that someone would actually give me a chance, and uh, I love you, and I value your trust. And whenever I say I love you, I, I really, really mean that. So today... I'm going to get into some things today. We're going to get into some uh, really, really deep stuff here. I'm not going to take too much time uh, to preface this and everything, but title uh, title of this episode is going to be Episode 10, Slavery 101. That's going to be the meat and potatoes of, of our episode today. Um, so let's go ahead and get into some stuff. So before I get there, I actually have a couple, a couple small topics to talk about, and then we're going to get into that. So I'm going to go over some of this stuff really, really quickly. I know last episode I went over. So this episode, I'm going to try to get this stuff through as, uh, quick, and, as quick and efficient as I can. So let's go ahead and start with the first article here. We have something from uh, Yahoo News. It's, uh, it's about, it says, United States reopens temporary facility for migrant children in Texas. So pretty much in a nutshell here, the United States has opened more migrant centers for migrants who come over the border illegally, just like they did in the Trump administration, just like they did in the Biden administration. Now, now, if you were on Twitter a couple years ago when they had that picture come out and saying that Trump was putting those kids in cages, that, that was actually a picture from 2014 during the Obama administration, and people recognized and acknowledged that. And so, the of course, the, um, the, the picture was taken off of social media, of course, because you can't have something like that said about President Obama. That, that, that can't happen. So let's go ahead and get into this article says, the Biden administration is reactivating an emergency migrant child facility in Carrizo Springs, Texas, due to an influx of unaccompanied minors crossing the southern border and capacity limits at permanent shelters due to COVID-19. During the Trump administration, the facility was open for one month in the summer of 2019. Today, it will hold up to 700 migrant teens. Mark Weber, a spokesman for the Department of Health and Human Services, told the Washington Post, the temporary operation is based on the federal emergency management system and will keep migrant kids out of border patrol facilities where holding cells are designed for adults. The United States has 13,200 beds for migrant kids, but only half can be used because of social distancing measures. In January, more than 5,700 unaccompanied minors were apprehended crossing the southern border. And as of Sunday, there are 7,000 migrant kids in the United States custody. custody. The Carrazo Springs facility will, quote, meet or exceed Texas licensing standards, Weaver said, and is run by the nonprofit BCFS Health and Human Services. So pretty much, so pretty much uh, Joe Biden was putting the kids in cages again, just like people got mad at Donald Trump for. The thing here, it's it's a real it's a real tough thing here because you have people wandering through the desert, like ninety square miles of desert or something like that, at the southern border. And the question is, do you let them die out there? Do you let that that child or that person just walking through the ninety square miles of desert desert? Do you let that person die out there, or do you call California Border Patrol or the Border Patrol in general and have them come pick this person up? It's a real question we have to ask ourselves. I don't think it should be hard. I think that we should keep these people alive. Uh, we shouldn't... Human life is the most... It should be held in the utmost sanctity. And there's... Joe Biden's also uh, getting rid of ICE. There's actually an article here from the Washington Examiner that says, Biden administration reportedly planning to dismantle ICE immigration enforcement. So before I read that, let's go ahead and get into... Uh, 
a couple confusions people have because ICE and border protection are two different things. ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It's a part of it's a part of the Department of Homeland Security, and it focuses on investigation. So it goes and investigates, and then gets people from inside the country who are engaged in certain activities who are here illegally. It goes and gets those people. Now, Customs and Border Protection has two main parts. It's the Border Patrol and the Office of Field Operations. Border Patrol agents patrol the border of the United States-Mexico border and the Atlantic and Pacific coastlines, as well as the United States-Canada border. The Office Office of Field Operations places officers, not agents, at land border points of entry, airports, and seaports. So at checkpoints and things like that, that would be your OFO. So let's go ahead and get into this article that talks about Joe Biden dismantling the ICE immigration enforcement. Washington Examiner says, the Biden administration is reportedly considering overhauling immigration and customs enforcement in a way that would determinate the jobs of thousands of officers tasked with arresting and deporting immigrants illegally residing in the United States. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has understood to have recently introduced a plan to do away with ICE's enforcement and removal operations arm and convert those officers into agents who investigate transnational crime instead of going after illegal immigrants. The consideration comes after Mayorkas testified before senators in his confirmation hearing last month and said that he did not think ICE should be abolished. The Biden administration's proposal outlined to top officials at the agency will keep ICE's name and its investigations uh, and its investigation side, but effectively do away with its ability to enforce immigration laws. ICE would have little, if any, ability to do anything about the people who choose to overstay a visa or illegally enter the United States at its land borders. Over the past decade, ICE officers have faced mounting challenges taking illegal immigrants into custody in sanctuary jurisdictions across the country that have enacted policies not to allow local priests to turn over immigrants to ICE, as was standard practice for decades. So pretty much, Joe Biden is pretty much, this would get rid of, not ICE as a whole, not the agency ICE, but it would pretty much, they would pretty much be a dog with no teeth at this point. They would pretty much wouldn't be able to investigate and make arrests and do things like that. So, our next subject here is Joe Biden uh, has an amnesty bill. Now, amnesty is pretty much uh, allowing people to become citizens in a very quick manner. So it says, my source here, townhall.com, says, Biden's massive amnesty bill is here. It says, Democrat Senator Bob Menendez and a number of other leftist lawmakers on Capitol Hill will officially introduce a massive amnesty bill backed by the White House and President Joe Biden Thursday morning. The legislation is known as the United States Citizen Act, the United States Citizenship Act of 2021, and rewards at least 11 million people who came to the country illegally. Recent reports also show the Biden administration stripping legal terms like illegal alien from government documents. More PC culture. Meanwhile, Republicans are sounding the alarm about the consequences of Biden's sweeping executive actions on illegal immigration and warning the, poli- warning the policies are tying the hands of immigration and customs enforcement, just like we had just talked about, taking the teeth away from the dog. So, pretty much, he's allowing people who came to the United States illegally to become citizens and things like that. You know, there are, there are good, there, there's a good amount of people in my audience who have parents who or even themselves are from are immigrants themselves. Now, the thing is that 
most people that I know, they did it the right way. They came in through the the checkpoint of the border and then they got on the path to citizenship. They took the test and they became citizens and things like that. My thing is that I'm just worried about the people who are trying to actually do it the correct way, who are actually trying to go through the, the actual checkpoint. Because what about them? You know, it's not fair to jump in line, you know? And the thing is that the United States has laws that talk about how it's illegal to come into the United States illegally. That is against the law. That, let me repeat. That is against the law. So even if you don't like what I'm saying... That's the law, okay? That 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 is a law. And I'm not the one who made the law. Personally, I think that we should be reforming our laws to make them better for people in this day and age because I know that our immigration, for, for legal entries, our immigration system's backed up to like the 1980s or something like that. It's ridiculous. I think that we should reform our laws so that people who want to become citizens in a quick way can become citizens because it's just a shame that it takes so long for good people to become citizens. In my opinion, I just think that good people who mean well and just want to come in here and work hard because we need immigrants. We need immigrants. We need people. You know, there are so many jobs to fill and everything. We need immigrants. We want immigrants. Well, personally, me. Me personally, I, I want immigrants, you know, because I think that everybody should have the opportunity. I just think that it should, the law should change to better reflect how we can do things. I just think that it should be done in a more clear and concise manner rather than backing up these people until the 1980s and things like that. So that's just my take on the matter there. But let's be honest, if you offer people free stuff like healthcare and things like that, they are going to vote for you. Let's not make that mistake and think that's not the case because let's 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 get an example. If they say because I, I was born in 1996, if somebody, if some political candidate came out and said something along the lines of everybody born in 1996 gets a Lamborghini if I get elected, I would love that. You know why I'd love that? Because I'd get that Lamborghini and I would sell that Lamborghini and invest the money. That's just me. Now, of course, I would, of course, somebody like me would be inclined to vote for that person. Somebody born in 1996 would be inclined, inclined to do it. Now, the thing is that we know that the more people come in and are, they want those benefits and things like that, and the people who promise it to them, those are most likely the people who are going to get the votes because of what they promise. Let's just be honest here. It's simple logic. Now, more more votes, that, that that's more votes, and that means more represent, representation in Congress for your constituents, the people who are voting for you. Because you offer them these things, they want to vote for you. And therefore, the more people are going to come into a certain area and you're going to get more representation in Congress. This actually reminds me of the three-fifths compromise. Now, the three-fifths comp compromise was a compromise agreement between delegates from the northern and southern states at the United States Constitutional Convention in 1787 that three-fifths of the slave population would be counted for determining direct taxation and representation in the House of Representatives. That is, that's eerie. It's, they're trying to get votes. And we know, if, if you look at it, we know which party promises illegal immigrants vote, stuff like that. We know. It's simple stuff. Although, 
let's just keep in mind here that neither party is any good. So, but because both parties just do the same thing, but just in different ways, you know. And it's like, why am I going into this? Because there is actually a bill in the House of Representatives about reparations for slavery. Now, and on a subject like this, I am. I know my stuff about slavery. I could literally, I, I could give a lecture about the Civil War and slavery. I could probably give about a three and a half hour lecture on that. But no one's going to sit here for a three and a half hour lecture about that because I have too many details. So my article here is from MSN. Now they quote, they uh, cite Newsweek. Newsweek says, after 32 years, reparation advocates are confident the bill will finally pass. It says, legislation that would establish a commission to study reparations and recommend remedies for black Americans for centuries of slavery is back in the spotlight after a congressional hearing earlier this week. I would just like to say that nobody alive today was ever a slave. Nobody no, in America. Nobody alive today in America. Let me get that right. In America knows what it's like to be enslaved. Your grandmother doesn't even know what it's like. Okay. Article goes on, advocates are more confident than ever that H.R. 40 will pass the House of Representatives, which they describe as a welcome but long overdue milestone for the bill's 32-year history on Capitol Hill. So this bill has been sitting on Capitol Hill for 32 years. That's a long time. That is a long time. Whether you agree with the bill or not, that's a long time. There's a quote here that says, it, it's a sad, sad commentary on this country that it has taken this long. And that was a human rights attorney Nikechi Taifa. I'm probably butchering the name, but that's as best I can do. She says, reparations are an issue whose time has come. Why didn't they talk about reparations when Barack Obama was president? Oh, well, maybe I said too much. Okay. Named after the broken 1865 promise to redistribute Confederate land to former slaves, popularized as the, quote, 40 acres and a mule, unquote, H.R. 40 was first introduced by the late Representative John Conyers in 1989, just one year after the Japanese Americans won a formal apology from the United States government and reparations for their intern internment during World War II. And this lady, Taifa, she goes on, she says, we were looking around saying, excuse me, there is precedence for this. If they could do this for Japanese Americans for the years of internment and concentration camps during World War II, surely, surely it can be done for black people in this country for the centuries long degradation, enslavement, and post-slavery discrimination we have suffered. Um, well, if the reparation thing was going to happen, I feel like that should have happened in 1865 when they passed the 13th Amendment. But that's just my opinion because no one alive today was even a slave. Now, I just, there's, now, going into all this, I, I, I'm going to educate you about slavery. I, I'm going to tell you a little something here, okay? You, you, you have to, you're gonna have to put on your mask for this. You're gonna have to put on three masks for this one, okay? You're gonna have to put on three masks and roll the windows up in your car and drive around, okay? So, first thing I like to say is that slavery has been a large part of human history. It has happened everywhere. Countries have wars, and guess what happens to the losers? You guessed it, Rome. When they conquered the Mediterranean, guess what they did? Alexander the Great, guess what he did? And in in the slave, they, a lot of people talk about the slave trade in, uh, in Africa and everything like that. The thing is that in Africa there were wars between tribes and clans. They had wars, and guess what happened to the losers? The losers were enslaved. 
for prostitution and human trafficking. It's an awful thing. But that is the reality of human history. Human history is a history of death and slavery. That's what human history is. It's just too bad that we have so many people living in America underneath the most powerful military in human history that they just cannot recognize these things. They're just spoiled. And another thing I'd like to say is that the Native American people, you know the Trail of Tears that Andrew Jackson sent them on to Oklahoma and that region? The Native Americans had African slaves on the Trail of Tears, and they took them on the Trail of Tears. And some people were saying, oh, America started in 1619 when slaves came to America. Well, in reality, here's, here's, here's reality. In 1587, 1587, 1587, a group of 115 English settlers arrived in Virginia. The first official colony named Jamestown was founded in 1807. So, that's a long time before. Now, the first African slaves did come in 1619. That is a fact. But one thing we have to realize is that the Africans in Africa were fighting each other clans and tribes and things like that just like just like in any other place in the world they were fighting each other over land and resources and gold and spices and things like that they fought over it some people lost and guess what they were enslaved and if you if your if your clan or tribe lost they would sell you to the slavers the slave traders and a lot of people will say oh my goodness it was the white man who came and just took them they just oh rounded them up and nah, 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 nah. took them and Come here, boy, that, that mess people talk about. Well, again, here's here's the reality of, situa of the situation. Because I have an article here from AfricaIsWoke.com. And it talks about the East African Arab slave trade. So this article talks about how the Arab slavers, the Muslim Arab slavers, we're, do, we're, 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 we're taking African slaves around the start of the 9th century. It says, Arabs were involved in the slave trade of Africa during the East African Arab slave trade, which began around the 9th century as Muslim, Arab, and Swahili traders began to dominate the Swahili coast. That's why a, a good amount of Africa, a good amount of peoples in Africa are Muslim. Egypt, take Egypt, for example. Libya. Those are two examples. There, there are more. There, there are more. There are more examples, but those are the two that just came in my mind. Article goes on. The Muslim, Arab, and Swahili traders entered the African interior, largely in Tanzania, Mozambique, and Kenya, where they captured the local people, Arzanj, whom they would transport to slave markets on the East African coast. It has been estimated that the Muslim Arab slave traders sold as much as 17 million people to the Middle East and North Africa via the Indian Ocean coast circa 1500 to 1900. So from 1500 to 1900, they were, do, they were slaving. They were, they were taking slaves and selling them. It says, the 17th century saw an acceleration uh, in the Arab East African slave trade when more and more Arab merchants from Oman relocated to the island of Zanzibar as it took center stage in the brisk Swahili coast global trade. So... A good amount of time before the Europeans started taking slaves, the Arabs were taking slaves from Africa. Now, even before the Arabs were taking slaves from Africa, the Africans were enslaving each other. 
just like on any other place on the planet. You have wars, you fight over gold and resources and water and things like that and land because that's what starts wars. And you fight over that stuff. Somebody's got to lose, you know? So, now, the slavery that everybody that you see on TV references is the Atlantic slave trade. Now, the Atlantic slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, or the Euro-American slave trade, involved the transportation by slave traders of various enslaved African people, mainly to the Americas. The slave trade regularly used the Triangle Trade Route in its Middle Passage and existed from the 16th to 19th centuries. So, the 16th centuries to the 19th centuries. That was the Atlantic slave trade where you had the, the Europeans taking African slaves. And remember, the Arab, Muslim, and Swahili slave traders were doing that since the 9th century. It's about 700 years. I, I, the Arabs got the white folks beat by about 700 years, okay? I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> so, another thing we have to look at is just like when we're looking at slavery in America. Now, we know that Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 and South Carolina secedes from the Union. Now, but let's go ahead and take a look at South Carolina's reasons for seceding because when South Carolina seceded from the Union, they actually sent a letter. It's called South Carolina Declaration of Causes of Secession. It was written December 24th, 1860. I have the uh, PDF pulled up in front of me. It's from humanitiestexas.org. Now I'm gonna read certain portions of this article so that you can see what South Carolina was talking about. So, because I, I do tell you sometimes that South Carolina is seceded because Lincoln and his folks were going to undermine slavery. And that's true, but it's just that I just wanna read some of these things to you so that you can kinda of understand it here. Now, South Carolina starts off by saying, the people of the state of South Carolina in convention assembled on the 26th day of April, 1852, declared that the frequent violations of the Constitution of the United States by the federal government and its encroachments upon the reserved rights of the states fully justifies this state in withdrawing from the federal union. But in deference to the opinions and wishes of other slaveholding states, she forbore at the time to exercise this right. Since, at, since that time, these encroachments have continued to, continue to increase and further forbearance ceases to be a virtue. And now the state of South Carolina, having resumed her separate and equal place among the nations, deems it due to herself, to the remaining United States of America, and to the nations of the world, that she should declare the immediate causes which have led to this act. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, extra information that South Carolina has been giving us. But uh, one thing here that, that stuck out to me was, was this. South Carolina gives a one of the reasonings for their secession from the union is part of article four of the constitution that says this there so south carolina this is this is the text from the constitution that south carolina uses to justify their argument it says the constitution of the united states in its fourth article provides as follows no person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall, in any consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. So pretty much, if you um, if you owe somebody, you have to work, or you're doing like, say you're doing community service and you go to a different state, you're trying to escape, they, they the government would send you back to the state to do community service. And pretty much, South Carolina was using that for 
with slavery because there were certain laws passed that said that they could go into free states to take slaves. Just look at the Compromise of 1850. Compromise of 1850 said that California would be a free state if the slave owners could go into free states to cap to recapture slaves. So South Carolina goes on. They say these ends it endeavored to accomplish by a federal government in which each state was recognized as an equal and had separate control over its own institutions. The right of property in slaves was recognized by giving to free persons distinct political rights, by giving them to the by giving them the right to represent and burdening them with direct taxes for three fifths of their slaves. That's the three fifths compromise that I referenced earlier. It says by authorizing the importation of slaves for twenty years and stipulating the rendition of fugitives from labor. So pretty much. The South was saying that, well, you guys allowed us to use our slaves for political representation and you guys allowed it to go on for so long. We don't feel that you guys are treating us equal because we are slave states. But that's that's we have rights under the Constitution that say that any right not granted to the federal government or the people is reserved for the states. And the, the Constitution does say that. South Carolina goes on and says. We affirm that these ends for which this government was instituted have been defeated, and the government itself has been has been made destructive of them by the actions of non-slaveholding states. These states have these states have assumed the right of deciding upon the propriety of our dom domestic institutions and have denied the rights of property established in 15 of the states and recognized by the Constitution. They have denounced as sinful the institution of slavery. They have permitted open establishment among them of societies whose avowed object is to disturb the peace and alloying of the property of the citizens of other states. They have encouraged and assisted thousands of our slaves to leave their homes, and those who remain have been incited by emissaries, books, and pictures to survive insurrection. So pretty much South Carolina is saying that South Carolina is saying that they have property rights and that non-slaveholding states were infringing upon their right by denouncing slavery as sinful and evil and things like that. So yeah, the North was objecting to the slavery and South Carolina goes on. They say, for 25 years, this agitation has been steadily increasing until now it has secured to aid to its aid the power of the common government, meaning Abraham Lincoln being elected. Observing the forms of the Constitution, a sectional party has found within that article establishing, establishing the executive department the means of subverting the Constitution itself. A geographical line has been drawn across the Union, and all the states north of that line have united in the election of a man to the high office of president of the United States, whose opinions and purposes are hostile to slavery. He is to be entrusted with the administration of the common government because he has declared that, quote, government cannot endure permanently half, half slave, half free, unquote, and that the public must public mind must rest in the belief that slavery is on the is in the course of ultimate extinction. So pretty much South Carolina here is complaining that there are slaves, there are non-slave states and there are slave states pretty much separated by the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, go ahead and research that if you don't know what it is. The Mason-Dixon line, which pretty much was an imaginary line drawn that separated free from slave states. So they're saying that there's a man been elected to office, Abraham Lincoln, who is hostile to slavery because Abraham Lincoln did have the quote that said, a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. 
And Abraham Lincoln actually got that quote from Jesus Christ. So that was uh, South. That was one. Of, that was another one of South Carolina's reasonings for that. And in the article, South Carolina did talk about revisions that they would make to the Constitution. And I have a couple. I have a little bit of the text here. I'm only going to read two. Actually, I'm only going to read one. So one of their revisions to the Constitution says that Congress shall have no power to abolish slavery in places under its, its ex exclusive jurisdiction and situate within the limits of states that permit holding of slaves. So pretty much, South Carolina and the other slave states wanted a rule that says that Congress cannot stop slavery so there's that it shows you uh that they were afraid of the, Repo the republican party and lincoln undermining slavery keep in mind that the republican party of today is not the same republican party of 1860 two different things same thing with the democrat party well it depends on how you how you really look at that stuff there all right i'm gonna end shortly but uh first i want to bring this to your attention here so if you look at the map of the 1860 election in which president lincoln did win that against beckenridge i'm going to uh i'm going to i'm going to read to you the states that voted for lincoln and then i'm going to read to you the states that voted for beckenridge okay so starting with the states that voted for abraham lincoln California, Oregon, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Philadelphia, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Maine, Connecticut, New Jersey. That was who voted for President Lincoln. That was the North. People who vote, the states who voted for Beckenridge, mostly Southern states. Virginia, Delaware, Maryland, Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Maryland, and Delaware. Now, you, if, if you didn't catch that, you can go back and rewind that. Now, I'm, I'm about to read off to you the states who were the free states who voted for Lincoln. And then I'm going to read to you the slave states who voted for the Democrats and Beckenridge. States that vote, the states, the free states, California, Oregon, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Philadelphia, New York, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware. And that's who, uh, excuse me, Delaware and Maryland voted for the, voted for Beckenridge. Sorry about that. Now, the states that voted for Beckenridge, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Denmark, excuse me, Delaware, and Maryland. So one thing you notice there is that the slave states voted for the Democrats and the free states voted for the Republicans. And you can go ahead and look at that. If you, if you need to, look at a map of the 1860 election, the electoral map of the 1860 election, and then look at a map of the free and slave states. You should notice a pattern there. So that's pretty much all I have for you guys uh, today. I kind of didn't, I still a little, a couple minutes or two over. So, but I had so much information. I, I love you guys. Thank you so much for just giving me a chance to, just talk to you guys and tell you guys, give you guys this information. Um, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for being alive. And I'm thankful that God sent his son. I, I really love you guys and uh, you guys have a good day. Okay.